Today we conclude a sermon series that we embarked upon beginning the first Sunday following Easter. It is a series where we have been visiting different pieces of furniture in our new sanctuary and asking ourselves, what is it about our pews, about our chancel, about our organ, about our table, our font, our pulpit? What is it about these things that combine to make this space something more than a room, something sacred? Today we conclude this series in what is perhaps the most appropriate way for a Pentecost Sunday and a dedication Sunday. We conclude by asking ourselves, what is it about this cross that is so central to this sacred space and to our lives and our faith together? And just as we have done each week, we are asking these questions through the lens of Scripture. And so today we turn to the letter to the Philippians, the second chapter, the first 11 verses. Let us listen now for a word from God. Paul writes to the church in Philippi saying, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. Make my joy complete, Paul writes, by being like-minded, by having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, Paul continues, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted Christ Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, send your spirit now, that like a mighty wind it might take the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered in this space and send them out into the world to your glory. Indeed, O oh God, we pray that through these words and through these ponderings, you and you alone might be glorified for you and you alone 
are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I don't know any other way to say it, but we worship a third-class God. Can you imagine in your mind for a moment one of those old-timey stagecoaches, like the kind from the movie Stagecoach, (laughs) right? Four wheels, six seats maybe, horse-drawn, a popular mode of transportation for a certain period of time and history all over the world, but particularly in our own nation and the American West when it was still very much the wild, wild West before railroads or even roads for that matter stretched that far. I read somewhere recently that on those old stagecoaches, not unlike airlines today, there were three classes of tickets that were sold. But they had nothing to do with legroom or the size or comfort of your seat or even the food and beverage service that you could expect along the way. Three classes. Naturally, the most expensive and prestigious was first class. What first class entitled to you, like I said, was not more legroom, but Rather, the ability to stay in your seat no matter what adversity your coach might encounter. If you hit a rough patch of road with a lot of mud or a steep incline that those horses just clearly aren't going to be able to get everyone over the top of, first-class passengers didn't have to move. Stay right where you are, come hell or high water. Now, second class was a little bit more affordable. What second class gave you the privilege of was that though you would be asked to get out of the stagecoach when adversity was encountered, all you had to do was walk alongside. Nothing else. Third class, though. Third class was the most affordable, but it came with the most downside. Because any time there was adversity, and let's be honest, in those days, most every journey was guaranteed some kind of adversity along the way, third class passengers were expected to not only get out, but to climb down into that knee-deep mud to stand there with the driver and do whatever it took to get that stagecoach back going. First, second, third class. According to Paul, in Jesus Christ, God, God came down to be amongst us, to be with us, to be one of us, and stepped up to that ticket counter and slid across whatever God uses to buy tickets. And we know God could buy anything God wants, but what God gets is not a first class, not a second class, 
but a third-class ticket. And if that's a hard pill for you to swallow, Paul says, if that's even maybe somewhat offensive to your senses, if you're wondering where's proof that God is a third-class God, Paul says, look no further than the cross. You know, I'll be honest, the cross has always kind of confounded me. For better or worse, I'm a cradle Presbyterian. This is the only tradition I've ever known. And I have been around long enough then to know that Presbyterians don't spend a whole lot of time talking about the cross. There aren't a whole lot of sermons on the different theories of atonement. We don't go through in detail dissecting all the different elements of the crucifixion. You won't hear us invoke over and over the imagery of Christ's blood. In fact, what often for me, when I do hear about the cross, what it often comes back to is a question. What good news is there in this? What about a cross, an instrument of torture, could possibly be good news, much less worth suspending at the very heart of your sacred space? These verses from Philippians are Paul's answer to that question. Paul says, I'll tell you what is good about the cross. What is good about the cross is that in this symbol, we meet a God who is one of downward mobility. In this cross, Paul says, we meet a God who doesn't just want to ride along with us in the coach, doesn't want to wave words of encouragement to us from the side when the going gets tough, but rather a God who gets out and gets down in the muck and the mire of life all of us. The cross is this sign that that when our lives feel like they are falling apart, when our world feels like it is falling apart, when, when we're standing still wondering, will we ever get to where we're trying to go? The cross is what shows us that we're not alone in those questions. In fact, that God is right there with us. You know, the most satisfying explanation I ever got from anyone about the cross and how it's good news for us is that the cross is this sign that there is officially nothing in our lives that we can experience, you or me, that God has not already known. Right? God chooses to come in the form of a human, something inexplicable in and of itself. God doesn't have to come, but God chooses to come down and be one of us. God experiences the joys and the heartaches, the struggles and the promise of life. And when push comes to shove, I don't think anyone would have blamed God if God just skipped over the whole death part. But God doesn't. God suffers on a cross. And God experiences death itself. 
I was always told that there was apparently a professor at some point at Columbia Seminary who was legendary for when they talked about the crucifixion, about the cross, she would pound on her desk. She'd say, God was dead, dead, dead. But in that death is this nearly unimaginable good news. For what it means for all of us is that there is nothing, even death, that we can experience that God does not also know. That this is the sign that God knows the fullness of what it means to be human, to be like us. You know, with everything going on in this service, I was encouraged, I'll say, by several people to not preach too long. <laughs> so the only other thing I really want to note is that in a few moments we're going to dedicate this incredible new space, both this space and our Ash and Tilly wing and our beautiful new library just outside these doors. And we're going to say thank you to all of you because this is a project that does not happen without the support and prayers of many, many people. But as part of our service today, we're going to say a special thank you to the many women and men who served in specific roles to help make this happen. And we're going to present them with a gift that's ultimately going to make it into all of your mailboxes, but today we're just going to give it to those who served on the different teams from start to finish. And the gift that we're going to give all of you is a cross. Now, before you roll your eyes, because if you've been here long enough, you know I have a thing for hand crosses. I love to hand out crosses like this at just about any opportunity. But there is something unique, something special about this particular cross. The crosses that we'll hand out and the crosses that we'll mail out. These crosses were made from the wood of the pews that sat in this space for some 70 years before we got to our renovation. You might remember the first Sunday after Easter, we began the Sacred Space series talking about pews, and one of the things I noted was that all the pews that were here before the renovation went out the door. We said anyone with the means and the manpower can come and take a pew and take it wherever they want. Just get them out. Davis Love had a few of them up in his barn and was kind enough to meet with me and Dave Hansen back in January. Dave is a retired United Methodist pastor on the island. And we took one of those pews. And since January, Dave and his grandson Cole have been hand carving about 300 of these. But what's really neat about them is that in the center of each one, they left some of that varnish, the original seat or back, to whatever part of the pew this cross was cut from. Now, I loved this idea. I was quite proud of myself, in fact, of thinking of it for, <laughs> for Building Dedication Sunday. What better gift, right? All the symbolism wrapped up in it. But as we started to become clearer and clearer on our plans to do this day, this Building Dedication Sunday on Pentecost Sunday, it also hit me, 
How perfect is that? Right? This is the day when we mark the birth of the church. And what more tangible reminder of the mission of the church of Jesus Christ than the cross? Right? Anytime we look at this cross or we feel or hold or touch this cross, we are reminded that, that the God who, who came at Pentecost, the God who moves amongst us even now, is a God who calls us, his followers, Christ followers, to practice everything that the cross represents. To live lives of humility and servanthood. To live lives that invoke that same movement downwards into whatever life brings. Right? What better image and symbol to remind us of the one who gets out of the stagecoach for us calls each and every one of us to do the same for others. Right, to go down into whatever life brings, to notice those fellow passengers along the journey of life who might be in need of some help. A little extra push. A partner in the mess. Right, it's this reminder ultimately for me to say it differently. That this first class space And make no mistake about it, this is a first-class space. It sends all of us out into the world to live third-class lives. To live lives that are marked by those qualities that Paul makes mention of in this passage from Philippians. To live lives of service, to live lives of, of compassion, of tenderness, of sacrifice, but most of all, to live lives of joy. What more beautiful four words can you find anywhere in the scriptures than what Paul says here? Make my joy complete. It seems so fitting that we end this series on our sacred spaces on that note because perhaps that is ultimately what makes this space more than a room. The fact that this is the space where we gather to encounter the living God's joy and to be filled with that joy, to know it in our own souls and then to be sent out into the world to share and fill others with the joy of Jesus Christ. Friends, may God's joy be in you this day. And may your joy be complete. And may our joy be shared with all we encounter out in the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.